The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit Holy Cross Church. passage in Scripture that we, that we hear at weddings and funerals. We frame it on our walls. We have this framed in our, in our hallway by our guest bathroom at our house. We see it in greeting cards, 1 Corinthians 13. It's used by Christians and non-Christians. Christians recite it and refer to it often. Christians call it uh, the someone famous once said and then they read 1 Corinthians 13, things like that. Uh, so many people know it, but sometimes it's famous for the wrong reasons, um, unfortunately. Usually it's read to, to soothe us. It's, it's usually read to stimulate romantic love. Um, but it's actually not there to soothe. If we see it in context of the greater story in this letter, this is 1 Corinthians 13, is a chapter in a letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And if we see it in the context of this letter, it's not there to soothe. It's actually there to warn. It's there to really convict hearts and to, to call to action and to rebuke even. And here's what it says. And so let's read this following along, 13, 1 to 13. And then we'll see what we observe together. This is God's word. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We're going to split this chapter into three parts and take one part each week for three weeks. We'll read the whole chapter each week, but really focus in on just a few verses each, each time. The core of this chapter is pretty obvious. Uh, it's revealing to us what truly matters in our life, what truly matters to God. God's definition of what matters and what's significant in our life is, that, is a life lived in love. I mean, just at a quick read of this, we see what matters to the heart of God. Love must be at the center of all that we do. Or it's worthless. Love must be at the center of our lives and our ambitions and our dreams. So much so that, that he measures our life by our love. So over three weeks, we're going to look at love at the center of our service. Love at the center of our relationships. You're all going to feel really good that week. Love at the center of our growing up, of our maturing in Christ. That's what chapter 13 covers. So today we look at verses 1 through 3 that really address love at the center of our service. What's it look like when, when love is at the center of our lives as we, as we serve others and use our gifts, use the things that we're good at 
in our lives. As I remind you, chapter 13 is really part of a, of a, a letter, therefore it's part of a larger story. There's 12 chapters before it and a few chapters after it. And it's all part of this big story that involves conflict and rescue and a new way forward for God's people. That's where this chapter finds us. God is giving us through these words a, a new way forward for his people, how to, how to live in light of, of, of the conflict in our hearts and the rescue of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So our passage shows us first the priority of love, as we see so obviously, and then the difficulty of love, and finally, an identity that's rooted in love. Let's begin with the priority of love. How necessary is it for love to be at the center of a Christian's life? Well, well, it's, it's essential, uh, obviously. Paul uses exaggeration here. He uses exaggerated examples to explain how necessary it is for love to be at the center of a person's life. You can speak in tongues of angels. You can have incredible insights into life and theology and how the world works. You can understand all mysteries of all kinds, as if to say, ask me anything about anything and I will tell you everything there is to know about any topic. You can do that. And if you have not love, then it's worthless. Think about that. You can be the creative type, he says. You can have all passion and faith as if to remove mountains. You're energetic. You're enthusiastic. You want to do big things for God, and you're ready and resourceful, and you want to change the world. And even with that kind of ambition and drive without love, then you're wasting your time. How important is love to the life of a Christian? Well, it's like breathing. It is like breathing. Think about all the responsibilities, the things on your list that you have this week. I'll give you a second just to let those play through your mind. What's on your plate? What burdens you? What do you have to get done as just obligation or occupation in your life this week? Maybe end of school activities for your kids, sporting events that are coming up, final exams that you're preparing for or taking, work deadlines, reports that you have to give to, you, to your uh, supervisors. But maybe even just normal things, preparing meals for the week, laundry, taking out the garbage, praying with your children, uh, pulling weeds in the yard. Just what's, what do you need to do? And now of all the things that need to happen, I want you to think about this. What's the most important thing that you need to do? Now before you get too deep, let me just tell you, you need to breathe. Breathe! Like you need to breathe. Why? Because that's the most important thing that you can do all week. Because if you don't breathe, it does not matter what's on your list. You're not getting them done. If you don't breathe, it doesn't matter how ambitious you are, how, how planned you are. It doesn't matter how important the things are that need to get done. No, no matter what you do, or no matter what you know in your mind, no matter what you've studied, no matter how many hours you have uh, invested into your own knowledge, whatever you desire to accomplish for Jesus, if you're not breathing, nothing is going to get done. You're dead. How important is the life of love for a Christian? It's like breathing. Because without it, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your enthusiasm for Jesus. You might as well be dead. Anyone can feed the poor. Anyone can give to the cause of the gospel ministry. Anyone can volunteer their time. And sometimes... Non-Christians can even do that better. 
Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes non-Christians can do all of these things better than Christians. God places a greater priority on love than miracles. A greater priority of love than on, on our activity. Christian love is more important than miracles. We see this in the Bible in many places. In the book of Revelation at the very end, God speaks to a particular church. And he tells to the church, he looks at this church and he says, I know of your great works. You have a reputation of good works. The world knows of all the good you have done in the world. You have a reputation of being alive, but really you're dead. I mean, this is God. He's saying, I've heard about you. Everyone's heard about you. You do good work. You're dead. You're dead. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Many will come to me on this last day, having done great miracles and mighty works, even in my name. And I will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. These are not words to soothe. They are words to warn. They're words to sharpen. They're words to rebuke. Maybe you're thinking, Gosh, I'm never going to hear this at a wedding the same again. Our greatest fear as Christians and as a church should not be of failure to live up to our potential. Our greatest fear should be of succeeding in things that truly don't matter. That should be the greatest fear, to giving our life to things that God says, you wasted your time. You shouldn't have focused on that. You should have focused on this. But our greatest fear is, well, what if I mess up? Well, what if I don't accomplish great things? What if, what if people don't look at me and say that, that, I'm, that I'm successful? God will say, that that's not the biggest fear. The biggest fear is wasting your life and giving your time and energy to things that don't really matter. We should not be afraid of, of not living up to our potential. We should not be afraid of, of messing up. You're going to do it a dozen times, a hundred times every single day. We should be afraid of, of, of pouring our, our lives out into activity and habits and dreams that mean nothing to God. God's definition of what truly matters really is straightforward. My work is easy this morning as I just show you this passage. It preaches itself. Not all passages do that as easily. God measures our lives by how we love. In fact, Jesus says that everything that has ever been written in Everything that has ever been revealed about God from God to us can be summed up in really two main commands. To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and the second flows from it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Christian love is more, more of a miracle than miracles themselves. Christian love is a greater miracle than being able to move a mountain by faith. Uh, this is what blesses the Lord, more than being able to have a faith that can take a mountain and cause it to fall into the sea. God delights more in our love. So what does it look like? I was afraid you were going to ask. <laughs> what is love? What is the character of love? Let's look, move on to this. The character of love, it's the kind of love that God calls us to. But is this love, is love just another word for niceness? This is what we need to really wrestle with. This is just another word for just being nice to people. I mean, imagine if we switch the word love in this passage with the word nice. It sounds, sounds the same, really. Let's give it a try. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but am not nice, 
I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers or understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to remove mountains but am not nice, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but am not nice, I gain nothing. Sounds, sounds okay, doesn't it? But there's a problem, clearly. I know a lot of nice people that don't know or love Jesus at all. So what is the difference? Because it seems like we can put nice in there, we could put kind, we, could, we can put anything we want in there and says, okay, that's what it means to love, but, but clearly God is pointing us to something quite different than just a, a temperament of niceness to people. Because I know plenty of nice people that hate Jesus. Um, I think we assume that if we are nice, people will come to know that we are Christians. And that's... Um, it doesn't work that way, really. Well, if I'm nice and if I'm kind, then people will come to know Jesus through me. It doesn't work that way because Christian love and niceness are not synonyms. Uh, true love is unlike anything in the world. Um, Jesus shows us the difference between love and niceness from Luke's gospel where he says this in Luke chapter 6, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. See, he's saying even people who don't know Jesus can be nice. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even again, sinners do the same. But if you lend to those for, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But now he shows us something quite different. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. True love is greater tied not to niceness, but to mercy. True love is getting away, giving away of ourselves and expecting nothing in return. Pay attention to how you might answer maybe a question from a spouse or a friend when they ask the question, um, why do you love me? Maybe this is preparation. Maybe even mothers are asking the question today. Why, why do you love me? Why do you love me? And if you say, I love you because I feel good when I'm around you, give them good cause to think to themselves, well, what happens if you stop feeling that way when you're around me? Well, I love you because you're a great provider for our family. Well, what happens if I lose my job and stop providing for the family? Will you love me still then? I love you because you always listen to me after a long day. What if I go deaf? Can you love me then? I love you because you are my rock and strength when I am weak. What happens when I fall apart and I become weak? You see, these are all the, all the, all the dating shows. This is what I hear. I love you so much because I... I I, I never feel as good as I feel than when I'm around you. What happens when you stop feeling that way? What happens? You see this? The world says this. I love you because you're on time. I love you because you put the dishes away in the dishwasher. I love you because you're handsome or beautiful. And when, though, when you stop being those things, it's your fault if I stop loving you. The gospel says I love you because I love you. Full stop. Do you see how true Christian love is unlike anything else in the world? True love is found nowhere but in Christ. True, a tr picture of true love 
is found nowhere but in Christ. This is where we see love is not niceness. Love is not merely putting up with people. Love is like unlike anything in the world. We have a problem in our culture when if this is like, oh yeah, I never thought of it like that. We have a problem in our culture. We have a problem in our church. The problem has to do with our desire to be important as a result of what we can contribute. The problem is that we desire to be loved and measuring that by what we can contribute to others. And this kind of thinking is like acid to the gospel. It is acid to the gospel. It corrodes and distorts and damages the, view, the real gospel and what it means. The gospel is not a matter of productivity. It's not a matter of character or resourcefulness of what you bring to the table. The gospel is about God's self-giving love when we don't deserve it. Good job, you love somebody who's really fun to be around. What do you do when you, they, when you hate being around them? That's a test of your true love for them. Oftentimes, our, our first response when someone does something that we don't like, at least for me, is resentment, retaliation, and distance. Not love. We say, well, you've changed. I can't love you. You've changed. Well, that's the very moment that you actually get to express what love really is. The difficulty of love is that we are so self centered that we don't even realize it when we're doing it. Our, our whole lives are turned so inward to ourselves, we don't even realize when we're not loving people. So difficult to be motivated by love because we've turned, sin has turned us in towards ourselves. We have made all of our life and the center of our life ourself. God tells us in this passage, he says, the center of your love, the center of your life ought to be love. Love at the center of what? Of everything. Well, what happens when I'm at the center of everything? Well, then there's a radical change that must happen in your heart and in your life. People who, this is why it makes it so difficult, people who are obsessed with their own comfort and obsessed with their own glory only give to the degree that it benefits them. them. You see, people who are obsessed with themselves can still good, do good things when it benefits them. And if it stops benefiting them, then they, they, they stop doing that. But people who are obsessed with the love of God for them, like really immersed in it, obsessed with it, think about it all the time, they give freely, they give generously, they give truly and openly. Everything I have is a gift from God. He loves me without end. He, he accepts me uh, without me having to earn it. He loves me even when I was his greatest enemy. So I give freely. You have hurt me, but I give openly, and I give freely to you. When we say yes to our own interests, it will pollute our ability to express true love to others. But when we say yes to God, it frees us to love others. It frees us. It becomes the center of our lives and the center of how we serve others. And in this way, the gospel is the antidote. It is the antidote to the disease of a self-oriented life. It's the medicine. It's the thing that cures us. Well, how do, I, how do I change from keep always thinking about myself and, not, and, and struggling with loving people? It's not a three-step uh, ritual of just watching your behavior or watching your, your tongue and how you speak. It is to allow the gospel, the true love of God, to dig deep into your heart, changing your affections, changing your ambitions, your dreams, 
Changing the things that you hope in and what you're, what you, how you feel secure. No longer do you feel secure in what you have to offer and knowing that it pleases others, but you feel secure in God's love that has been given freely to you. Now you start to grow in being able to be freely loving to others. See, the narrative of the world says, I must do something special in order to be someone special. The gospel says God shows mercy to those when they are people when they are the most unlovable. Early in this chapter, uh, early in the book of the letter to the Corinthian church, Paul says in chapter 1, he asks them a question. He says, let me, let me talk about your time when you first met Jesus. Were any of you really special? Were any of you really wise or well-off? Were any of you really brilliant and changing the world? No. God doesn't love people because they're important. They're important because he loves them. They're accepted because he loves them. And it's this self-giving, unearned love from God that fills our hearts, cures us of our self-oriented life, and changes our identity completely. It changes the way we live. It changes our security and who we think we are. Let's, lastly, let's look at this, how love changes our identity, an identity rooted in love. There's really two kinds of people here that he's, this can be applied to, two kinds of people that need to hear a warning like this. And really everyone here falls into two different groups, two different groups of people here. The first are the people who think they have a lot to offer. And I shouldn't even say think that they have a lot to offer. Two kinds of, one person is the kind of person who actually does have a lot to offer. These people are genuinely, genuinely well gifted, truly well off. Truly intelligent, knowledgeable, successful, resourceful, standouts in their field. You have always known and people have always told you that you are good at what you do. And you have a lot to offer. And you are smart. And you're the go-to. And if there's a problem that needs fixed, people always come to you and you've always known that about yourself. And These are not bad things. I mean, these are blessings. Wonderful, wonderful things. But the warning is here. You can have great gifts and you can have all these things and not be a Christian at all. And give your life to things that matter, that don't matter at all. And miss out on truly what matters. It's possible to be gifted and smart and committed and generous with your money and powerful in your community and not be a Christian at all and not know the love of God at all. And your heart is truly in bad shape if you measure the genuineness of your Christian faith by what you have to offer God and others. Truly bad shape. That's what Paul is rebuking here. Think about how, what, how you feel if, when someone doesn't include you. you. Maybe feel a great injustice has been done because you have a great deal to offer and no one asked you to help. If people... If you give input and people ignore you and don't take your input, well, that's because they're idiots, right? <laughs> you think, well, they, they don't know what they're doing. Well, fine. I'll, I'll, you, know, like, I'll, I'll, you can come back and say, I'm sorry. You think the world would work better if people just listened to what I had to say. The world would work better if people were more like me. The world could use more people like me. And you feel this way. Because you ultimately believe 
that your goodness is rooted in your good and usefulness to others. That's your identity. It's rooted in pride. It's rooted in what you have to offer. It leads to jealousy. It leads to bitterness. It leads to hurt feelings. It leads leads to anger. When people don't do what you want to do, your service doesn't flow. All the usefulness of your gifts that God has given to you does not flow from the gospel. It flows from your pride. Gifted people, I'm speaking to you, I know there are many here. If your service to others and spiritual activity is busy and active, but your communion with Jesus is empty, then you're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. Paul says you're like a noisy gong. Now this isn't by accident. He's he's talking about the culture at the time. These pagan people would come into the city center and as they began their worship to God, they would bang a noisy gong or clash cymbals together to get God's attention. And what they're saying is, watch God, we're about to do something wonderful to you. And they make a loud noise so that God, the gods will look down and say, oh, that really is impressive. I like what you're doing here. At the beginning of their worship, they would do this. Paul is saying, if you serve in this way, if you serve out of pride, you're serving like an unbeliever. You're serving like a non-Christian, and it means nothing to God. It's a warning. Instead, you serve out of the overflow of God's love. You use your gifts. You humbly serve, knowing that the good that you have, the gifts that you have, are not because God uh, has given them to you because you are special in some way, but because he loves you. You didn't earn these things. They are a gift. You should serve out of an overflow of his love for you. You should serve generously, not looking for attention. You should serve sacrificially, not looking for a reward. I'm going to give, and I don't expect anything in return. And let me tell you this. Anything in return also applies to no one ever noticing. No one ever. Can you serve, and no one ever says thank you? Can you serve and no one ever publishes about it? Can you serve and no one ever knows it was you? Do you find yourself in context in a room always telling people who you are and what you do and how important you've lived your life? That may be you. Now let me talk to the other people, the not-so-gifted people, because I know there's a lot here too. (laughs) Um, You know who you are. You're not good at anything. And, 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 And... Listen, you, you're awesome. You, we, you are loved. Believe it or not, I hear both kinds of people and people come to me with both kinds of admissions, right? People come to me and say, and, and they, you know, they meet me and they come to church and they're new and they feel the need just to give me their resume. Here's all the things I'm really great at and the church is going to be better if you have me. Cool. There's a Baptist street up the road. You know, you know just kidding. We, we love our Baptist friends. It's like, you, this is going to be tough for you if you come bearing your resume, right? But I also get the other side, too. People come in and say, listen, I, I don't know my Bible really well. Uh, I, I hate speaking in public. I'm even really nervous talking to you right now. Um, I don't stand out in groups. Uh, you don't, I don't know my Bible. Um, I just found out that, that, that Moses wasn't Jesus' dad. Things are all new to me, right? So these, I'm learning things. Um, I don't feel gifted at all. I get people saying this sort of thing all the time. I don't have a lot to offer the church. In a strange way, that second group is committing the same sin as the first group who thinks that they're really special. You're still basing your value and importance on the degree of your accomplishments and knowledge or the degree of lack of 
accomplishments and knowledge, rather than the love of God for you that's unearned, unmerited, and freely given. Do you see, it, we, can, we can really notice the sin in prideful people when they say, I'm special, you should think of me. And it's not as easy to not acknowledge the sin of the people who say, I have nothing to give. They're both the same. It is both basing our importance and our goodness and usefulness to God based on who we are and what we've done. If you use the exercise of your gifts as the measure of your value to God, you're missing the gospel as well. What is the gospel? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Because he loves you. By what means did he save us? Through weakness. In dying on the cross, not through strength, not through his might, but through his sacrifice, through his giving away of himself. And the world looked at that and said, this is weak, this is nothing, this is not important, this is actually really embarrassing. He has nothing to give. And when he was thought of as giving nothing to give, it was at that moment he was giving the best. He was giving himself. He was giving his heart wholeheartedly to his Father, to God. Paul is saying, what you really have to do to be joined to the love of Christ is not giving all of your money to the poor or energy to the cause of the church because those things are truly worthless in themselves. What you really need to do is give your heart to God. And if you do that, then God will use you in ways that you never can imagine. He will use you literally to change the world. He will use you to move mountains, to bring people from death to life. He will use you to advance his kingdom. And what did you do? You gave your heart to God. He said, my life is yours. Do with it what you will. And he says, oh, I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to do a lot. Anyone in this room can be an example of supernatural faith in Jesus. Everyone in this room Man, woman, little child can be an example of hope in the promise of God, in love for his purposes, in such a way that will change the world. If you cultivate in your heart a deep love for God, there's no limit, no limit to what God will do through you. It's amazing what he desires to do. The most important thing that you can do in the whole world and in all of the church, is to have a more intimate walk with Jesus. Your skills are useless without it. Your gifts are, are, are useless without it. Now you may be thinking, right, if you're that high-driven type, this is really not a good strategy to get people to serve in the church. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking that. You're, you're, this is not good. No one's going to fill out the Green Connect card, you know, which says, where do you want to serve? I wholeheartedly disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree. If you think that, you're dead wrong. Dead wrong. If you know your Bible, you do lots of great things, but you keep God from taking hold of your whole heart, then you don't know real love. But if you have given your heart to Jesus and your identity is in his love for you and you just want to have a deeper communion with him and, and you want your life to demonstrate and every, all the details in it to, to, that, you, that you have given your life to Jesus, then you are so useful 
then God will do amazing things through you. And I want you to sign up. I want you to help. I want you to serve others. I want you to give your life to, the, to, to God and then your life to the, the advancement of his, of his good news in the world. He will do things through you that you cannot even imagine. It will bring you so much joy. Listen, it's, it's Mother's Day. This has not been a great Mother's Day sermon so far. <laughs> I admit. But maybe moms need to hear this. Everyone needs to hear this. But dear, dear mothers, would you hear this? The way to bless you is to give you ultimately the best thing I can give you today. And it is not a list of things to work harder on to be a better mom. It is to invite you into a deeper walk with Jesus where your identity is rooted firmly not in your ability to be a good and perfect mother to your children. Your goal is to find your whole identity in Jesus' performance for you. What he did for you is enough. Slow down. Breathe. Breathe in the grace and love of God for you. And let the embrace of his love for you overflow into a life of love to your children to your husband, to your friends, to your church. A mother who cultivates a heart that rests in the love of Jesus and delights in his love for you, you will do much more for your children than a mom who serves on every PTO committee and has a perfectly imbalanced, healthy meal waiting for them every morning and neatly pressed clothes by their bedside every day. The economics in God's kingdom are not the economics of, of this world. It's upside down. You will do far more for your children by just loving Jesus and letting that overflow into love for them. It's the greatest miracle. Love is the greatest miracle. It's the greatest investment and it has the greatest return. This is good news. Breathe in his love. And enjoy the process of being made more into his image. Let's pray.